so I'm getting, it sounds like we're getting a soundtrack today. Oh, good. <laughs> Our scripture this morning is from John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was meant that she would save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Last week, I noticed in the bulletin that uh, there was a spaghetti dinner on Friday night. That took place, I believe. And uh, that's a great ministry. Edie and I can't really come because we're involved with international students at the university. But uh, spaghetti involves something that I find difficult to deal with, tomato sauce. So it was interesting to see the spaghetti dinner and then the title of today's sermon, What's That Smell? (laughs) So I don't know if God was uh, applying a sense of humor there or not, but uh, we uh, this morning want to take a look at not just gratitude, but how does gratitude go further? How does gratitude overflow into generosity? How do we take gratitude to its logical conclusion? And this passage here in John chapter 12 really helps us to see what that looks like. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you are giving us every opportunity to come to you with grateful hearts as we look at all the things you've done for us and all the things that uh, you've done for those that we care about. We thank you so much, Lord, that this is something that we as a church can do every Sunday and just be grateful for the many things that you have done and continue to do. Help us also to understand how we can take our gratitude to another level and experience the generosity that overflows from that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Excuse me for getting personal, but what does it smell like in your house? We're doing a series where Jesus was invited into somebody's home to look at the impact that he had 
in that situation. Today we're in the home where Mary and Martha lived with their brother Lazarus. Now, in the previous chapter, Luke or uh, John chapter 11, Lazarus got sick. So they sent for Jesus, who was delayed. And in the meantime, Lazarus died and was buried. Jesus didn't actually show up until four days later. Of course, by then it was too late. Time had expired. But Jesus decided to perform a resurrection anyway. They warned him not to open the tomb because the stench would be overwhelming. But it turned out to be the greatest display of his power anyone had ever seen. Maybe you have a resurrection story in your home. Someone who was dead in trespasses and sins, brought to life by Jesus Christ. It doesn't get any better than that. Well, this home in John 12 had already been profoundly impacted by Jesus, who demonstrated his triumph over tragedy. And then it says, six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Well, here she's at it again. Martha is forever conjuring up a feast. But what a difference. It was not like last time at all in, in Luke chapter 10. She's doing it without being worried and upset. She was not whining about Mary's deficiencies. There's been a major upgrade. We now have Martha 2.0. It's a whole new attitude. And speaking of Mary, where is she anyway? Verse 3, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. What does it smell like in your house? You know, this was no cheap perfume. This was not like Evening in Ogden or <laughs> Nose Creek Number 5. This was real expensive stuff. Verse 4, but one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Correcting for inflation, in our currency, that would be over, what, $6,000 per toe? Jesus had never been treated with such extravagance in his entire ministry. This was something that he experienced in heaven, but not here on earth. And some saw it as excessive. Why wasn't this perfume sold and then the money given to the poor? Poor Mary, every time she drew closer to the Lord, she gets criticized. Last time, her devotion was misinterpreted as dereliction of duty. This time, she's accused of wasting money. And no wonder, I mean, they were all shocked. They'd never seen anything like this before. Are you serious? Who does this sort of thing? Public displays of affection make us uncomfortable. It's embarrassing. You know, if we're honest, we, we Baptists are not known for this sort of thing, are we? we? We're not known for our extravagance. We tend to be very economical in our faith. We count the cost. We calculate every commitment to within three decimal places. We don't get carried away. We don't overdo it because, well, we're concerned about what other people think. 
So we kind of try to stay under the radar. Some believers even become bargain hunters. What is the safest thing to do? What's the easiest route to take? What's the minimum required? <laughs> but that is so boring. Even a hardened atheist like Bertrand Russell despised this attitude. He said, of all forms of caution, caution in love is perhaps the most fatal. Well, we know that God certainly wasn't cautious with his love, and neither was Mary with her, with her generous response. By the way, when was the last time you did something absolutely outrageous for the Lord? Something over the top, something extravagant, simply because you loved him so much, you couldn't hold back any longer. You couldn't restrain yourself. Oh, if we, could, if we could just release all of the promises, all of the power, all of the passion that we restrain, if we could pull out all the stops and aim it at our generation, what an impact that could make. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Holding back has become a favorite pastime in the church. Don't overdo it. Nothing radical. Don't be fanatic. Control yourself. I wonder if this attitude quenches the Holy Spirit. In her book on worship, Anne Ortland pictures her church filled with vials of perfume, all tightly corked. She says, we're very vase conscious in our church. We're aware of the clothes this vase is wearing, the personality of that one, the position of another. What we really need to do is remove the corks, those stubborn, strong-willed corks, those rigid, unyielding corks, because when a whole sanctuary of vases are opened, there is glory and light everywhere as the fragrance of Jesus fills the air. Have you ever been part of something like that? We saw that in the revival that swept through Western Canada in the 70s. We had church every night, not just for 90 minutes, but for three to four hours, and often with overtime. And in those days, we weren't counting the cost. We weren't worried about what other people were thinking. We weren't even looking at our watches. Yeah, I have got to work tomorrow, but this is too important. When God is at work, it's, it's just far too interesting. We don't want to miss a moment. So every night we had dozens of people coming up and at the microphone, giving testimonies and confessing sins. There was no restraint, no caution. They just let it pour out. I was part of this when I was at the Drumheller Penitentiary. I was leading a communion service with about six guys. And all of a sudden, something extremely unusual happened. They started confessing their sins. And I was shocked because usually that never happens in a penitentiary because it's always somebody else's fault. They know exactly who to blame. But these guys, all of a sudden, for whatever reason, started confessing their own sins. I'm to blame. It's my fault. You know, and, and it just didn't stop. I had other appointments, but they had a lot of confessing to do, and it just kept going, and it was getting late. 
took me three hours to do communion with six guys. Wow. Nothing smells sweeter than forgiven sin. It, it smells like spring. One Christmas, my wife decided to buy turkeys for the families of our son's friends, the ones who had lured him into drugs. These were people we definitely didn't like for obvious reasons. But God told Edie to return blessing for insult, and she did. I was shocked. And I really think that kind of ultimately helped turn the balance of power and led to his deliverance. I mean, it was absolutely outrageous. When was the last time you did something outrageous for God? Let's be honest, we all get excited about something. The Toronto Blue Jays, another pilgrimage to Cross Iron Mills, maybe getting the phone number of that cute girl at school. We all get excited about something. When was the last time we really got excited about Jesus? If we're worried about what other people think, it will inhibit our enjoyment of God and it'll quench the Holy Spirit. Speaking of other people, to somebody, this was a nauseating odor. Why wasn't this perfume sold? Why didn't we give the money to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. Are you that guy, maybe in your home, the chief cynic in residence, the grouch who stole Groundhog Day? It's no fun living with someone like that, a critical husband or a nagging wife or a whining child or a legalistic parent. It's very easy to adopt a critical spirit because people are so flawed and we can see it and we always have to say something about it. But have you lost that love and feeling? Part of the problem of criticism in our homes is that uh, we come into marriage with these great expectations, but uh, they're often at conflict. You see, women get married to men hoping they can change them. And men get married to women hoping they'll never change. Don't cut your hair. And what about church? Do you only notice the glitches, the disappointments, the inadequacies? Or are you able to push those all aside and let your desire for God just sweep you off your feet? Does church make you excited about Jesus? It should. There's every opportunity for that. Now we know that constructive criticism is necessary at times. Even Peter rebuked Jesus. The Bible calls this uh, speaking the truth in love. And it's very important that we keep that balance. Warren Wiersbe says it's like going to the dentist. Truth is the drill. Love is the anesthetic. How many of you appreciate that dentists use anesthetics? Wow. In a church, sometimes I've heard honest truth dispensed without 
very much love. And it reminds me of my first dentist that I had when we came to Canada. You will not believe this, but I was there. This is no exaggeration. He didn't use anesthetic. And it was absolute torture. I kept passing out from the pain. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Running Man, where, uh, or is it The Marathon Man, where uh, there's a Nazi war criminal torturing Dustin Hoffman by drilling on his teeth without any anesthetic. Well, I experienced that. I know what that's like. It was a nightmare. I was traumatized. I felt like I was going to have a nervous breakdown. And that's exactly what some have experienced in their home if there's a lot of criticism and very little love. That's what truth without love can feel like. It's like vigilante justice. We're just venting our frustrations. What's the matter with you? Can't you do anything right? They say that to survive one negative, we need four positives. So maybe for every uh, dose of truth we administer, we need to also provide four doses of love. That's why the Bible keeps reminding us to encourage one another. Gary Smalley compares it to gardening. He says, when the plants are withered and wilting, it doesn't do much good to threaten them. The gardener has to find out what's preventing them from growing and then provide the proper nourishment and care to make them thrive. Well, in this home, there was both a world-class encourager and also a leading Nobel candidate for cynicism. Verse 6 says, He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. In this passage, we see both the best of humanity represented and the worst. The sweet perfume of Mary's adoration was temporarily interrupted by the selfish stench of greed and betrayal. Judas always took a commission from any charitable contribution. Besides, for him, Jesus wasn't worth it. So there's a flag on the play. But on further review, the play stands. Verse 7. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was meant that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Oh, the atmosphere was sparkling with a refreshing fragrance of Mary's outrageous generosity. Jesus had never been treated with such extravagance. No, wait a minute, that's wrong. That's not true. Remember last week? The fallen woman who found forgiveness? She did it too. She wet his feet with her grateful tears and dried them with her hair. It was the same overflowing joy. And that's interesting because you couldn't find two women who were more different. In Luke 7, you have a bad sinner who experienced redemption and responded with extravagant gratitude. In John 12, you have a good sinner who experienced resurrection and responded with extreme generosity. You see, there's only two types of people in the world. There's bad sinners 
and there's good sinners. And of course, our society focuses on the adjectives, but God considers the noun. We, bad or good, are all sinners in need of salvation. That first woman in Luke 7 had come out of deep darkness into glorious light. And I've heard some say, you know, you have to be a great sinner to really appreciate the grace of Jesus Christ. That's why new converts have such passion and the rest of us veterans, well, not so much. But that's no excuse. Mary was a moral, God-fearing Jew. Her salvation experience was much less dramatic. But her passion for Christ was just as great. When was the last time you really got excited about Jesus? To Mary, Jesus was the most important part of her life. In fact, he was her whole life. Nothing else mattered. When you have found Jesus, you don't need to look any further. He's the one our hearts were made for. Canadian actor and comedian Jim Carrey said this, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so that they would know that's not the answer. That's good. That sounds like it's from the book of Ecclesiastes. The question that troubles humans the most is the same one we've all asked. Is there more to life? Of course there is. And it's Jesus. So what Mary did was not only appropriate, I'm sure she wished she could have done even more. And the Apostle Paul would second that devotion. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. In Mark chapter 14, verse 9, the parallel passage to this, Jesus is quoted as saying, I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And that's what we're doing this morning, 2,000 years later. The fragrance of Mary's devotion is like a sweet, refreshing breeze still wafting through the church. And let's remember that our devotion to Jesus is not just between the two of us. It also is seen very clearly in how we treat other people. Because if we're excited about Jesus, we're going to treat people differently. Every family needs at least one member like Mary who can change the whole atmosphere with her devotion to Christ. Every home needs someone who does not calculate their mercy or restrain their grace, who can give without counting the cost or requiring a receipt. Every home needs Someone like Mary. When we get excited about Jesus, it changes the way we treat people. You see, everyone in your family needs more love than they deserve. 
Do you know that? Everyone in your family needs more love than they deserve. And that's why God put them into your family so that you could give them a foretaste of the Heavenly Father. You are the opening act, getting the house warmed up for the main attraction to prepare them to respond to a God who loves them even more. And it's the same thing in church. Everyone in this church needs more love than they deserve. I need more love than I deserve. If I only got the love that I deserved, I would have quit a long time ago. I'd be as cynical as the guy in verse 5. One thing I'm really thankful for, in every church I've pastored, there were so many people who treated me better than I deserved to be treated. And I was always paid more than I was worth. Where would we be if God only gave us what we deserve? How many of us good sinners would be going to heaven? Everyone needs more love than they deserve. So how would it change your home? How would it change your church if you would treat others the way God has treated you? And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Nothing smells sweeter than gratitude that overflows into generosity. And Father, we pray that you would do that in our lives, that we don't just itemize the things we're thankful for and then go our way and continue to live self-centered lives, but that we would realize the things you've done to us and for us the way you've treated us so much better than we deserve to be treated, that that needs to overflow from gratitude into generosity. If we're excited about Jesus, it's going to change the way we treat people. May we do that even today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we acknowledge who God is. He's holy. He's worthy. His creation speaks of his goodness, his greatness. Let's, with our hearts and voices, just lift our attention to him.
Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is He. Sing a new song to Him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Holy, holy is the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. With all creation I sing praise to the King of kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. Clothed in rainbows of living color, flashes of lightning, rolls of thunder, blessing and honor, strength and glory, and power be to you, the only wise King. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. With all creation I sing praise to the King of kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. Your name is power, breath and living water, such a marvelous mystery. Yeah, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to creation I sing praise to the king of kings you are my everything and I will adore you holy 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 is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come with all Creation, I sing praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you.
now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, your heavenly Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Amen. So, hey, thanks for showing up. Hey, thanks for showing up.